I hope we have as much fun as they're going to have over there. I'm sure we will. Um, I've got a few Bible verses we're going to be going through. That's my normal style. We go through, bounce from all over the place in the Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, um, we have a few spare at the back there. So if you, if you just put up your hand, someone will come and bring a Bible to you. Because I think you'll probably get more out of it if you, if you actually read it for yourself. Um, we're difficult to organise overheads and things over here, but uh, if you need a Bible, just put up your hand and uh, Brother Praveen will uh, come and bring one to you. And if you have a Bible, now's the time to take it out as we look at Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 6. So, don't be surprised the topic of my sermon today is going to be about baptisms. Okay. That's what it is. So hopefully you'll get something out of it. Looking at Romans chapter 6, verse 3, and it says, Know ye not that so many of us as we're baptised into Jesus Christ, we're baptised into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be, uh, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer, and then I'm going to turn the speaker down a little bit. Um, it's just too, I'm getting too much reverb over here. So thanks, Brother. But so let's be committed this time to the Lord. Father in heaven, once again, we thank you as we come before your precious throne for this word that we have within our hands. And we thank you for the word of God that you've given to us and you've preserved, you've brought down through the ages. Father, we pray that our hearts will be open to its truths. We pray that you'll give us your grace, that we might understand it and we might live it more importantly. Father, we thank you once again that we enjoy such a precious salvation because you have offered it to us freely and without cost on our part. We thank you that we don't have to work our way into heaven because we would never know uh, if we could ever make it there. But because of your amazing love and your amazing grace, you sent your only begotten Son to pay the penalty of our sins, that we might be free and that we might accept salvation as a gift from you. We thank you once again for that precious gift and the price of that gift and what it cost you. We pray that you be glorified in the midst of us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Today is a special day for this church. Um, uh, four of the people that are being baptised today actually had planned exactly one year ago to be baptised um, and COVID hit. And they shut the school down and we couldn't actually meet anymore or have these baptisms. So there are four people who are really eager to get their feet wet today. And I'm glad that they are. And they're still here and uh, that God has blessed us with an opportunity to be able to baptise not just them, but another 10 people on top of it. Um, if you're one of them, there's plenty of reasons for us to rejoice and to celebrate today. And really today is the day of celebration. Uh, if you're one of the 14 people who followed the Lord or are following the Lord in baptism, you're about to be part of a ceremony that has existed for more than 2,000 years. 
You follow in the line of many great believers throughout the ages, the early apostles. You're following the line of, of the early believers who gave their lives and were thrown to lions and, and had to endure an amazing uh, persecution in the, in the early days. Um, you follow the line of those who were baptised originally in the Jordan River. Now, we don't have a river here, but we have a heated pool, which is the next, next best thing. And you're following the line of your Saviour, who was himself baptised the same way that you're going to be baptised today. If you're a friend or a family that has come here today to celebrate what they're about to uh, do, we pray that you'll be blessed by what you see and what you witness here today. My prayer is that your own faith will be strengthened by your experience today. And we pray that you will see in these people the hope and the joy that God has put within their hearts. And we pray that your hearts will also be stirred for him. And for all of us, it's once again an amazing testimony of the love and the grace that God has for us. It's another, another reason to celebrate what he has done for us and the love that he has shown toward us in that he sent his only begotten son into this sin-riddled world to save sinners like us. We have plenty of reason to rejoice because our Saviour went to a cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago. My prayer in sharing this message with you today is to help you to understand the biblical reasons why we are doing this thing that has been done this particular way for over 2,000 years. My prayer is that you not only understand what the Bible says about it, but why we do it and why we do it in this particular way. You may have noticed that we are called Faith Baptist Church. Um, there's a reason we call Baptist Church. In fact, it's not a name we gave ourselves originally, for, for those of you who um, haven't read the history of it. Originally, um, we were rejected by pretty much all the mainline denominations going back hundreds and hundreds of years because we managed to get our hands on the Bible. And in the 1400s and 1500s and 1600s, we were quite a, a small and persecuted band of, of people. And they called these people Anabaptists. And, and it was actually a derogatory term because what they were doing was rebaptizing people. So they were calling them the rebaptizers. That was their, their name that was given to them by other people who wanted to make fun of them. But the reason they were rebaptizing people was because they'd managed to read the word of God and realize that what had been happening wasn't the way God had wanted. So that name stuck. And John the Baptist, by the way, wasn't a Baptist, okay? The denomination wasn't hanging around in those days. Um, but from the very beginning, those who had the word of God um, understood that that's the way baptism always was done. So my prayer for you today, my hope is that you'll come and understand not only why we do this way and how it's done and what the Bible teaches about it, but also that you would understand the message contained within it. You see, the act of being baptised is proclaiming a message and it's proclaiming what we call the gospel. The gospel simply means good news. And today, there's good news for all of us. 
because we're celebrating what God has done and because there is a God in heaven who rules and is the creator of all things. And the good news for us is that this God loves. That's good news for us. And after Jesus rose from the grave on that third day, he spent some time with his disciples explaining to them the things they had not fully understood and they needed to understand what would come for them and what they would have to do when he ascended back into heaven. Before the Holy Spirit came down on the day we call Pentecost, which is when the church was actually born, um, Jesus spent some time with his disciples and uh, Brother Isaac read this passage. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. And these are the specific words that he left them and the things they were meant to go and do. So he's speaking with the people who were closest to him, his disciples who were now called apostles. So if you ever wondered what those two words were and why they're different, the same people were called apostles and were called disciples. The difference is, is that when they first started following Jesus, they became his disciples. So for this three-year ministry that he had on the earth, they, people started following him, and there were 12 disciples, okay, which we, we call the 12, and there were many more. There were hundreds more as well. But if you were following Jesus in those days, you were a disciple. Later, he sent them out with a message. And once he sent them out, they became apostles. An apostle simply means a sent one. So you can be a disciple and an apostle at the same time. But there are no more apostles today. Apostles were people who were specifically sent out by Christ to deliver a message. And I suspect the last apostle might have been the apostle Paul. Remember? Apostle Paul, uh, on his way to Damascus, met Jesus. And Jesus told him what he would do. So, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Well, this day we continue to follow the Lord in this command. We are teaching and we seek to teach all people to observe whatsoever Jesus commanded us. And we are baptizing these people today in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Those three are what we call the Trinity. And that's how God has revealed himself as a triune God. God is one, but he is three at the same time. And that's how he's manifested himself. So what does the water signify? What is baptism for? Well, we're going to answer some of these questions now. But let me tell you what baptism is not. Baptism is not about washing your sins away. You may have heard, you may have heard from other people that baptism is like a picture of your sins being washed away. You know, everyone loves a good bath or a shower, a nice hot shower, wakes me up in the morning. And water's good for removing dirt, but it's not very good for removing sins. And so baptism is not a picture of your sins being washed away. 
There are many references in the Bible to baptism in the New Testament, but not one of those references, there's 80 more references to baptism. Not one of those references ever says that water is meant to either wash away sin or picture washing away your sin. Turn with me to a few that I might share with you now. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. There is something that washes away your sin, but it's not water. There is something much more powerful than water to, to take away your sin and my sin. And now you're going to discover what that is if you don't already know. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. What cleanses you from your sin? It's not water. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed at Calvary. Turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Just to continue with this, I have two more here. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. What is it that causes you to be justified before God? What is it that allows us to stand before God, fully cleansed of all of our sin, so that when he looks at us, he doesn't see a criminal anymore, he sees a just person? Well, Romans chapter 5, verse 9 says, Much more than being now justified by, which your Bible say, his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin. It's because of the action of that blood that was shed all those years ago, we can stand before God justified, no longer guilty. And finally, Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Colossians chapter 1 verse 12 says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet, which means uh, suitable, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood. What does that mean? Explains it right there, even the forgiveness of sins. So, baptism is not about washing your sins away. Baptism has nothing to do with washing sins away. A person's sins are washed, are washed away and cleansed because on a lonely hill, 2,000 years ago, the Son of God chose to take our place on the cross. And He allowed us humans to actually torture him and to nail him on a device that was created for the worst of criminals. <clears throat> and we treated him like a criminal. But what God, what we, while we were doing evil to him, God was doing good to us. And in that evil act that we did, God actually was allowing his own son to pay the penalty of our crimes against him. So that's why water does not take away sin. Salvation does not come from baptism or doing good works. 
salvation or the type of salvation the Bible speaks about is not trying to get to heaven on your own merits or trying with some tremendous effort on your part to try to earn your way there or try to make up for the bad that you've done. It's not about being really sorry for the things that you've done. It's not about always asking for forgiveness from God because you know what? You can't keep even track and I can't keep track of the sins that we've committed against him. No, salvation is received, the Bible teaches, as a gift by simply putting your faith in the one who loved us and gave his life for us on that cross. It's having faith in that precious blood that he shed, which is powerful enough to still cleanse from sin today and make us pure before God. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. So everyone in this room, by definition, is a sinner. The Bible teaches there is not one who has not sinned. In fact, there is one who has not sinned. And that is Jesus Christ. The only perfect person in history who never ever sinned. And that's why he was a perfect sacrifice before God. He was the spotless lamb of God. And Romans 3.24 says, being justified freely, yet yeah, doesn't cost us. Being justified freely by his grace, which means something he gave us that we didn't deserve. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And that's the message that I've got today for you. And that's the message that you're going to be seeing when these people are being baptised. Is baptism necessary for salvation? No. Baptism doesn't save you. It isn't necessary. The Bible teaches very clearly that simple faith in Jesus will save you. This is an act of obedience. This is a declaration to everyone else that's watching of what has already happened to them. Why they're doing it? Pure and simply because they want to obey Jesus. They want to follow him. You may be wondering why no babies are going to be baptised today. Because from all the references, 80 plus references in the Bible, we never see a baby being baptised. And it's probably for very good reason. Because according to the Bible, it's very important the order in which things are done. The correct biblical order is that a person first repents and puts their faith in Jesus and understands what he has done for them and then they are baptized once they are saved to make that declaration to everyone else. See, I was baptized as a baby. But I didn't understand what Jesus had done for me. You see, every reference in the Bible always comes with believing first and then baptism after. So the Bible teaches that baptism is only for those who are old enough to understand that they are sinners and need a saviour. As one writer puts, what puts it, baptism is an expression of faith by the individual. Only the baptism of believers is authorised in the Bible, and babies do not have the ability to believe. In the New Testament, in the first 300 years of church history, the only people who were baptised were believers old enough to have faith in Jesus. For the first 300 years. On the day of Pentecost, 
at the very beginning of the church, when the Holy Spirit came down upon the disciples, the Apostle Peter got up on a rooftop and there were thousands of people below. And he gave a sermon, the biggest, one of the biggest and best sermons. Take time to read it. It's a fantastic sermon that he gave. And he declared the gospel to those people who were there. He delivered this passionate sermon to the people who would then come to know Christ and be saved. On that day, the day of Pentecost, we know that 3,000 people got saved in one go. 3,000 people, imagine that, imagine the Baptists. You know when they got baptised? The same day. Now we're struggling to do 14 here. How did they do 3,000? And what did they eat after? It's a lot of hot dogs. <laughs> But I want you to turn to a Bible reference with me now, Acts chapter 2, verse 41, to show you what the biblical order for salvation and baptism is. And I hope it will become very clear to you that the order forbids the actual baptizing of a baby. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Now listen to the order very carefully. This is on the day of Pentecost when the Apostle Peter is giving a sermon. Okay, It says in Acts 2.41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptised. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Did you see the order there? They gladly received his word. What word are we talking about? The gospel. He was telling them that Jesus had died for the sins of the world and that he'd risen again on the third day. That he was the Son of God who had come to pay the penalty of their sin. So they, the Bible says they gladly received that word that he was preaching and then they were baptised. They weren't baptised before they received the word, they received the word before they were baptised. When we witness these baptisms today, these people who are going to go in that water have gladly received that word. They've gladly received the gospel of Jesus Christ and have chosen to be baptised in the same way that people were baptised then. We may not have the, the river Jordan here, but we do have plenty of water. Turn to Acts chapter 18 verse 8 with me. Acts chapter 18 verse 8. Because we see another example of uh, the Apostle Paul arriving at a Greek uh, city in Cor called Corinth and he preached the gospel in a Jewish synagogue there and after much discussion and teaching about who Jesus was and what he had done for mankind, we read this in Acts chapter 18 verse 8. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptised. Did you get the order here? They heard, they believed, they were baptised. If a baby is baptised, it puts the order backwards. Because you're actually robbing them of the opportunity for them to make that open declaration and say, I put my faith in Jesus and I am now born again. The reason some churches baptise infants by sprinkling them began in the 4th century AD, more than 300 years after the church began. And they taught, they began to teach that baptism was a sacrament 
A sacrament is something that you have to do to earn your way to heaven or to give you extra merit with God. So the idea is that the more sacraments that you do, the closer you're getting to God. That is not what the Bible teaches about salvation. The Bible teaches very clearly that once you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's not you any more working, trying to work your way to God. It's actually God already with you, walking with you on the way to heaven. After Constantine, when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, we see this matter, this, this business of sprinkling babies. It's not what the Bible teaches. Baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't add more merit to you before God because once you're saved, you don't need more merit before God. He sees you as justified before him. But it is a powerful picture of death, burial, and resurrection. And just like communion, there's only two ordinances that God gave us, the Lord gave us, the church. One is baptism, and the other is communion, and both are celebrating the gospel. They both say the same thing. One is, though, an open declaration of what God has done in your heart. And it's an open declaration that you have died with him. And that he's given you life. And because of this, the only proper, according to us Baptists, the only proper baptism is when you go under the water. Because it's a picture of being buried. It's a picture of dying. Okay? Sprinkling and pouring doesn't really do it. Actually, just I'll give you a bit of a history lesson here. The word... Baptism is not really an English word. It was robbed from the Greeks. Okay, we robbed it from the Greeks. The word baptizo is the Greek word, and it appears 80 times in the New Testament. And the beginning wasn't even a religious word. The word baptizo meant simply to dip underwater or to immerse in water. That's what it meant. Actually, we have some writings back in the 200 BC with the word baptizo in it. And you know what it is? It's a recipe for boiling vegetables. But it always meant to dip or to immerse. In 1611, when the King James enlisted Greek and Hebrew scholars to translate the Bible into English, that's the Bible that we use over here at Faith, the translators had a challenge and they came to the word baptizo. They knew it meant to dip or to immerse. But they also knew that it inferred a whole lot more than just to dip or to immerse. It had a whole lot of things around it, a whole lot of religious meaning around that particular word. So for the first time, the translators chose to transliterate the word, which means they robbed it. They made a new word taken straight from the Greek word. And that word baptised came into existence then. Have you ever thought about if they hadn't done that? We'd be faith dipping church today. <laughs> Has it got the same sort of ring? Faith immersing church or 
Faith dipping church? No. I don't think it works. I think I prefer Baptist, okay? But there is always, every example we have in the Bible of baptism always required plenty of water. And if it wasn't plenty of water, they didn't baptize. Uh, in every place, and this is what, why Baptists baptize in rivers, lakes, baptismals, and pools, like the one we're going to be using today, is that every time you see an example of baptism in the Bible, it's done in a pool of water. Turn with me to John chapter 3, verse 23. Let's look at a couple of examples. Now you've heard John the Baptist, you've heard about John the Baptist. John the Baptist came before Jesus, he was the one who was preparing the way for Jesus. And John the Baptist was baptising people in a different way or with a different message to what we have today because he was baptising people for repentance. So he was actually telling people, come and be baptised and repent and get ready because the king is on his way. So he was, so the purpose of that baptism was people to prepare their hearts for the coming king. And look what it says about John the Baptist here. It says in John 3, 23, and John also was baptising in Anon, near to Salem. Why? Because there was much water there. And they came and were baptised. Clearly, if, if uh, water, an abundance of water wasn't needed, John could have baptised many people by using a little fountain. Turn me to Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. We look at Jesus' own baptism here. And it describes what actually happened when he got baptized. And you'll notice two specific words that tell you it's all about going under, okay? John Matthew 3.16, did I say that right? And Jesus, when he was baptised, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Did you notice what it says about what he did? It says he went up and out. Well, to be up and out, to go up and out means you went down and under. Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. Turn to Acts chapter 8, verse 35. So we've got one more example here. Every time you see an example in the Bible of how they were baptised, they were going down into water and then coming up out of it. Acts 8, verse 35. Now this is the Apostle Philip. This guy's a, a legend. He's uh, preaching the gospel to, a, to an Ethiopian eunuch who was a treasurer. This guy's a pretty high up in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, um, in the realm of things. And this guy's going along in a chariot. And the, the God tells Philip, I want you to run and catch up with that chariot over there. And I want you to talk with that guy. So specifically, the guy starts running. Philip starts running and catches up with the chariot. Um, and then he begins to have a conversation with the Ethiopian eunuch. In 8.35 it says, Then Philip opened his mouth 
and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Now, just stop there for a moment. The, the Ethiopian was already reading Isaiah. He was reading that Bible in his chariot. So the chariot must have been a good-sized chariot to be able to sit back and read something going on. So it was a, it was a good size. This fellow was quite wealthy. But he's reading already, and God already knew that he was reading that, uh, that Bible. And so he's told Philip to go there, and the, he goes to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he basically says, do you know what you're reading? And the eunuch says, no, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? And that's where we get to this particular point. So Philip opens his mouth, and going to the Old Testament, he begins to unfold and unwrap that all this was about Jesus, was talking about Jesus. And in verse... 36, it says, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? What's stopping me from being baptized? Verse 37. Now, if you have a King James Bible, you have verse 37. If you have most modern translations other than the King James Bible, you're missing verse 37. Because verse 37 says, so that the Ethiopian eunuchs asked a question, what's stopping me from being baptised? Right? He's asked Philip a question, and Philip answers and said in verse 37, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptised him. Where did they go? Down and into the actual water. What did he have to do first? He had to believe. The answer to that question is that belief. And the same pattern exists throughout all the Bible. What hinders a person from being baptised? What stops a person from being baptised? If they don't believe, you have to believe before you are baptised. Today, 14 people are going to go down and into that water. And hopefully 14 will come up and out. And this brings me to the picture of baptism. What's it a picture of? So turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 3 with me. Romans 6, verse 3. Now I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice in verse 3, it doesn't say baptised in water, it says baptised in Christ. That's not the same thing. Baptised in Christ means that happens to you and baptised in the Holy Spirit happens when you get saved. You become immersed in Him. Okay? Romans 6.3 says, Know you not that so many of us as were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into His death. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So baptism is a picture of that. 
Because when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, you know what happens to you? You die. Scary, isn't it? You die. When I say you die, what I'm saying is that you've when you accept that sacrifice on that cross, when you, when you say, I believe in what you've done for me, you enter into that. Your old self, your fallen nature, or with all of its sins and all of its problems and all of its woes and all of its, its iniquity before God, gets nailed to that cross with Jesus. That's what happens to us in a spiritual sense. And God gives us new life. God makes a new you. He gives you a new identity before him. He adopts you as his child into his family. You weren't his child before. By the way, if anyone says to you that everyone's a child of God, they're not. The Bible says that only those who put their faith in Jesus are adopted into God's family. And it's only because you are in Jesus Christ are you then one of his. So being baptised into Jesus Christ means you've identified yourself with his death. But the good part is that he rose on the third day. So God gives you new life. And that's what they're picturing with this water baptism. It's a picture of that. The water symbolises death that we have experienced to our old life and that we have been resurrected and given new life, an eternal life, a life that never ends, that can never be taken away from you, that will never, ever wear out. Because you put your faith in Jesus. In a spiritual sense, we've accepted the substitution of Jesus' death for ours on the cross. We understand that he died in our place. He paid our penalty. Therefore, we announce that we have also died to our old self. And that's the reason Jesus had to die on the cross. But because Jesus rose from the grave and defeated death, even if I died with him, I will live with him. Baptised into Jesus is when a person gets saved. It occurs then. Turn to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 with me as we wrap things up. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The Apostle Paul says in, in verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. That's what a believer believes about themselves. That's what every believer believes about themselves, that we are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in this flesh here, I live by faith, by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, digest, digest those words. Dwell on those words for a while. If you understand what God has done for you, then today is a tremendous reason to celebrate. 
you are in Christ today, you have eternal life. You are no longer seen as the old you. God has made an entirely new you. Actually, the Bible says that we are made new creatures before God with a completely new identity. Yes, it's still you. I'm still Frank. I still have the same the same uh, thoughts. I still have the I'm still uh, have the same family that I was born into. All that seems to be all the same, but in God's eyes, something's changed dramatically. I am now part of His family, and I am perfect in His sight. Not because I am perfect, but because He declares it. And anyone who's put their faith in Christ. God sees you as already perfected before him, not because of what you've done, because of what Jesus has done for you. The life that we have is in Jesus. Remember, in. And I love the picture of, you know, Noah's Ark. Most of you know what Noah's Ark is, right? So there's a great flood that came upon the world. God was judging the entire world. God tells Noah to build an ark. Anyone who walks into that ark Anyone in that ark, doesn't matter what type of animal you are, you're saved. And that's what it means to be in Jesus. Jesus is like that lifeboat. But not everyone decides to go on the lifeboat. In fact, the Bible says that only few will take up that offer. And the majority of people will be more than happy to be to live the life that they've always had and not accept the offer of salvation. Turn back to Romans chapter 6 with me, just as I just share one more thing with you and wrap it up. Romans 6, 3-6, which is the original passage I read to you. gives us one more little picture of what baptism is like. Romans 6, 3 says, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptised into Jesus Christ, were baptised into his death. And that's all the things it says, it talks about in and into. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That's the new life God's given you. Walk according to that new life God's given you, that new nature. Verse 5 says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, so shall so shall we also we also sorry, we we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And I love that picture where he says, we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. You know when you plant a seed, unless you plant a seed, put it in the ground, and figuratively dies underground, it won't grow into a tree and produce fruit. And that's what baptism pictures is that when they go under the water, they're saying their old self has died, it's been buried, it's gone. They've come up a new person, and now they have the ability to produce fruit for God, because they couldn't do it before. And God has to give us a new nature in order to do that. So once again, I pray that 
you're all blessed by what you're experiencing today. I hope you've maybe learned maybe one thing or two uh, in the message today. Happy for you to ask me any questions during our time together this afternoon. But I want you to focus on the reason they're being baptised. It's because each of them believes that they were saved by Jesus, by his death on the cross, and they've put their faith in him to grant them eternal life in heaven, to rescue them from hell, because he had the power to rise from the dead himself. And so my encouragement to all of you is to serve God with all of your heart, to love him with all of your heart. And the Bible tells us that we love him because he first loved us. When you experience the love of God, you can't help but tell other people about it. And that's what these people are going to be doing today. They're telling us about it. And they're picturing it for us. So God bless you all. For the game, would you lead us in a final song before we sing? Thank you.